Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Nature Jobs podcast. I'm Julie Gould and I'm in Iceland. I'm at the University of Iceland in Reykjavik, which is home to the 13th Orpheus Conference. And to help me put this podcast together, my two and a half month old tiny human has come along for the ride. Do you want to say a quick hello? <laughs> Thank you for that. Okay, back to business. So Orpheus, or the Organisation for PhD Education in Biomedicine and Health Sciences in the European System, is an association of European biomedical and health science faculties and institutions. The Orpheus collaboration has been around since 2004, and in that time it's developed standards or best practices for what it takes to run a successful PhD programme in the biomedical sciences. And these have been applied to existing and developing graduate schools and have been successfully implemented and are therefore raising the standard of PhD training across Europe. Helga Ogmustetir, a professor in the School of Health Sciences here at the University of Iceland, was the host of this year's conference and was telling me about the history of Orpheus. The uh, background really was very much sort of after the fall of the Iron Curtain and lots of Eastern European universities were coming back, can we say. Many of them have a lot of history, a lot of tradition, but they've been lagging behind and there was a dire need for some transparency and to know what actually what is a PhD and it was Srav Kolakovic who got this going from Zagreb and got us all together to define what, what is a PhD and what does it entail. When you bring so, everyone together for the conference, what, what are the aims of these conferences? The aims initially were very much, we, would, we, we spent five, full, fully five years discussing the standards, okay. what we now call best practices. And so since you developed those standards, the conferences have continued to build on they those standards? They have very much built on those standards. And what was my ambition was actually to start moving forward a bit. What I mean by that is that having established these standards of best practices, that we can now start facing new challenges, like we're doing, I hope, in this conference. So what are the challenges that now face the community? That, that we've sort of defined roughly what we mean by a PhD, this is how big it is, and how many papers, and what it involves in terms of work, and so on. And now we can start discussing what are actually the challenges of today. So you've picked three topics to focus on. You've got creativity, diversity, and feedback. Yes. So why are these the challenges of today? 
what faces a PhD student today? I mean, there's so much out there. So we want to encourage people to know that they can be creative and that also the culture is such that you can be creative. Diversity, there's so much that you can cover on diversity. Indeed, this difference between laboratory and experimental and data-based. Is it all the same? That's one type of diversity. Another type of diversity is that uh, we have a lot of international students coming from all over the place, with, from all different cultural backgrounds. They have diff- different views and norms and values. Yeah, there's diversity in so, in so many, many respects. And then finally, and then finally feedback. feedback. That is something that uh, yeah, we, we have to be much better at, really. I mean, the old Greeks, they sat there discussing. We don't do that that much these days. I very much mean feedback in both ways. From supervisor to student, that's of course what comes first to mind. You should know that you're doing well or not so well and what you should do better. But also the other way around, student to the supervisor. So mutual feedback, I think, is, is very necessary. And more, more discussion. Helga, thank you very much. Thank you. I was invited to this meeting to do a presentation on the diversity in PhD education across the world to demonstrate how different universities and doctoral schools are adapting their training to suit the more modern requirements for a PhD graduate. But one of the other topics discussed under the theme of diversity was how researchers from different cultures react to, understand and implement research integrity. Bjorn Hoffman, who's a professor at the Norwegian University of Science and Technology at Klovik and an adjunct professor at the Centre for Medical Ethics at the University of Oslo, presented his work. And during his speech, he mentioned a study that he had conducted in Scandinavia called the Origin of Scientific Integrity Survey, or OSIS, and I wanted to find out more. Um, so tell me a little bit about this study, uh, what's it about, and, and what have you found so far? So, uh, it looks at what do PhD uh, uh, candidates and researchers know about scientific integrity? Uh, what do they themselves anonymously admit that they do or have done? And what are their attitudes? So these three elements is what we investigate. And then we have applied this for uh, our faculty uh, of uh, medicine in, at the University of Oslo, and we have applied it for all the other uh, medical faculties in Norway to compare. And then we have applied it to uh, Sweden, to Karolinska Institute. And uh, colleagues of ours have now used it in Denmark. And uh, what we find is that uh, some PhD candidates uh, admit that they sometimes fabricate data, that they sometimes uh, falsify data, and that they sometimes plagiarize. But uh, the average that we find is in accordance with or below what is found in the so far only meta-analysis on the field, which was made by Dan Finelli in 2009, which shows that it's below 2%. So we're not above the average, but things happen. Uh, otherwise, uh, we also find that uh, a lot of the PhD, uh, PhD candidates find it quite okay to do repeated statistical analysis until they find a statistical uh, significant result. About 40 to 50% think that is okay. So really? we're worried that, about... That many? 
Yes, so we're worried about that. And one of the reasons you can say, well, it's, it's a problem from a science ethics point of view, but it's also worrying from a scientific, Absolutely. methodological mm. point of view. So we're worried about that. So these are things we find. And of course, the reason we do this is not to out anybody or to, to display how bad or bad it is, but it is to target where should we go to improve it. What should we do to improve the scientific integrity of our communities, scientific communities? So that's the goal. So try to target where, where what should we emphasize during our teaching, what should we, uh, our courses, try to highlight. So that's why we do these. Um, now the survey is not only, uh, there are two versions of it, one for the PhD candidates, because they have a little bit different questions than supervisors and researchers. So anybody who wants to use the uh, survey, can uh, have access to it. It's uh, freely open and available on uh, on the web page. What do you think are some of the underlying reasons for some of this misconduct that you've seen come out in your surveys? I mean, what, why why are people why are being they doing a little it? bit naughty? Some researchers have very very high ambitions, and when they then uh, meet resistance, they take shortcuts. Other reasons are people are totally overloaded with work and they get tired emotionally and mentally, as some say, uh, so they also take these shortcuts. Some argue, though, that there are some rotten apples and you can't avoid them. I'm not very convinced about that. Uh, research isn't very convincing, at least to me, that, you, well, you just have to accept it because there are some rotten apples everywhere. I think what research shows is that um, uh, incentives, for instance, in some countries you get cash money for every publication you have that is shown or has been shown to have some influence. Uh, lack of um, structure or a clear policy document from the institution with regards to what is acceptable and what is not acceptable is also strongly associated with uh, research mis misconduct. So having clear policies, having good mentoring uh, um, facilities or uh, systems uh, can avoid uh, this. Uh, avoiding incentives, uh, in, at least in terms of uh, direct incentives, in terms of money, cash, is also very, very important. One thing that surprised me was that I thought, I'd, well, uh, pressure to publishing would increase uh, dishonesty or scientific uh, dishonesty, but the research does not show that. It shows, quite surprisingly, I think, that in where the pressure is high, people still can withstand it. On the contrary, it looks like people who have a high pressure, they push themselves to improve their publications and to make them good research in order to be published. So that was, uh, at least to me, a bit surprising because people have said, oh, we already know. It's like that if, if you have a very high pressure, then people, in the end, they will, they will cheat in, in one okay. way or the other. Yes, they will pay. But, but it doesn't, at least the research uh, I've looked to in, in systematic reviews and, and, uh, and other studies do not, do not subscribe to that. Well, it's not often that you hear a good thing about the pressure to publish. So <laughs> no. in that well, sense, uh, yeah. that's quite nice to hear. Bjorn Hoffman, thank you very much. Okay, thank you. The conference was a mixture of talks, debates and workshops and one of the workshops in the creativity stream was on creative problem solving. 
and it was run by career advisor Yuri Wielands from KU Leuven in Belgium. He says that many scientists, although not all, are introverted and need a little bit of a helping hand in seeing that you don't need to be an artist or an author or a musician or a movie producer to be creative. Even for a terrible artist like myself, a simple stick man can be your best friend when it comes to solving a problem. You can be creative in any field, but often scientists are not that extroverted. They are usually more introverted. And introverted people can find many great ideas as well, but they just need more time. And because it costs them more energy, they also really need to be motivated to do so. So it has to be on topics that they're really interested in. And if they compare themselves to these extroverted people who just sprout out all these ideas, they think, wow, I'm not that creative. But if they just take their time, they can find equally good ideas, sometimes even better. And I think they need to recognize that they have this strength and then they can build some more confidence. So you were here at Orpheus uh, to run a workshop all about creativity. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about the workshop. What, what was the aim of the workshop? Uh, my aim was to get them to know a specific technique named creative problem solving, which is a step-by-step -step process to find more solutions or to generate more ideas, to face challenges, to, yeah, to obtain certain opportunities, to solve problems. And basically with this step-by-step -step process, even people who are not that creative or don't consider them to be creative at all, even they can generate more ideas than they could on their own. Can you give an example of where someone might need some like stepwise advice on how to think more creatively? Actually, there's one step before that that you really okay. have to do. And that's to really get clear what the real problem is. Because often I notice that people find it hard to really define the exact problem. And especially scientists, they describe their problem so precise that it's also stays really complex and hard to handle and actually they have to try to bring it down to the core essence and in the workshop I started with exercise on that how to simplify the problem so it becomes more tangible even that you can almost okay this is the problem or the problem is this part and this part and then I just show them simple tricks that you really work is work with the mind map or visualize the problem try to draw it um, in the workshops that I do with PhD students, that one often works magic. Really, yeah. just drawing? Just drawing because then you can literally see the problem. I remember this guy was testing the impact of radiation on the brains of mice. And he had this problem that you could not keep the mice sedated long enough to really test the effect of radiation. If you would sedate them longer, then they would die. And then that was also not an option. But then... Because we did in a group work, which we were trying to find ideas for him. We said, okay, draw it for me so I can see it. And actually, while he was drawing, we saw, okay, so this is a mouse. But this mouse is also in a box. And you have this, I don't know, injection that he made. But you also have the machine. Oh, it's not the entire brain. It's just a very small part. And I understood this problem better. But at the same time, oh, okay, maybe you can change the box if the box is smaller. Because the problem was the, the mouse can't move. If she moves because of the, the tiny area they're trying to target, well, if she moves, they can't keep it targeted. We thought maybe we can make it smaller. Maybe we can test it with other animals. Maybe we can use another machine. So by drawing it, we saw the different components of the problem and you could 
brainstorm on each of these parts, and that really helped him. I'm a terrible artist, but I'm actually. You don't have to be good at writing. In fact, for this thinking, it's better if you're not good at drawing, because then you have to keep it simple. Yeah, true. <laughs> Stickman all the way. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> the conference has a really familial feel. Everyone is very welcoming, even to me and my tiny human, who thankfully has behaved beautifully throughout these last three days. But what has really struck me at this conference is that everybody here is willing to share their ideas and their best practices. Everyone here is trying to learn from everyone else. And this, says Bob Harris, who is the president of Orpheus and also a professor at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden, is exactly what Orpheus is all about. Just to learn, learn, learn from each other. And the more experience you have, the more you, you see. As a scientist, you gather lots of data. The more data you gather, the better your, your, your conclusions will be. Uh, it should be the same with professional development. Look at different experiences, compare and contrast, take the good bits, put them together. And what we do with Orpheus is really just to provide every good experience that we have there. And, and saying together, we, we, this is the, the principle of our best practices document. This is what we think is a good, way, how a good way to run a doctoral education program. Take it or leave it. You know, see what you can take. If there are bits there that you don't do, try adopt them. Try test them. With scientists, test them. Make a hypothesis. Test it. <laughs> if it works, great. If it doesn't, rethink. New hypothesis. But without the, this, this development of thought and just thinking, well, we've always done it this way, so it must be good. I mean. That's not, uh, that doesn't really abide with Darwin's, Darwin's law, right? No, Adapt or die. So thank you to Helga and the rest of the Orpheus Organising Committee for inviting me to speak at the conference and to everyone at the meeting for making it such a great trip. But that's it for this month's podcast. Next month I'll be continuing my international reporting, but this time from Toulouse in France for the European Science Open Forum, where David Payne and I will be taking part in panels and bringing back some of the highlights for you. In the meantime, don't forget, you can always follow all the Nature Jobs adventures on Twitter, Facebook and the blog. Thanks for listening. I'm Julie Gould. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 